earlier in my career, I probably, I would pride myself a little bit on the fact, like, I'm demand gen. I'm not that fluffy brand stuff. Um, But I think very quickly, I realized that the fluffy brand stuff actually isn't so fluffy. Um, That's the bit that's going to allow companies to scale. And that's what's going to help us differentiate ourselves from other organizations. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, a podcast that brings you insights and tactics from the greatest SaaS minds across the world. The show is brought to you by SaaStock, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, returning to Dublin in October 15th to the 17th, 2018. Hey, SaaS revolutionaries, we're 10 days away from SaaStock 18, depending on when you're listening to this. And if you want to grab a ticket for it, you're running out of time. We're about to sell out, so get one now to avoid the all-encompassing FOMO. As listeners, you can use my code ALEXT20 for a 20% discount. But once we sell out, no discount code will get you a ticket. Just saying. One of 133 speakers you'll see when you join us is Jada Balster, my guest on the show this week. Jada is VP of Marketing of Workfront. And Jada has been in the B2B marketing space for over 12 years, focusing on demand generation. She's built and led teams and a few SaaS companies in that time. Currently heads Workfront's EMEA marketing and account development teams. When she joined Workfront nearly five years ago, the company was 300 people, it's now touching 1,000. And in this time, she's had to shift her thinking from solely focusing on demand generation to also incorporating the more fluffy parts of marketing, such as brand and story. Combining them together has allowed the company to scale and become a category leader. Listen on to learn how Workfront does demand generation. We go after a very specific set of prospect accounts that we know are a really good fit for us. And more importantly, we know we can make a really good impact on their business. Um, So having that approach where you're going after very targeted accounts, um, you're not just kind of doing that spray and pray, go and get whoever, hook in whoever we can. We know who we're going after. We partner with um, marketing, account development and sales um, to really take an integrated approach to penetrate those accounts why the business imperative behind creating a category is essential. Category-creating companies experience much faster growth and they receive receive higher valuations and all those wonderful things. Um, but, you know, you can't just create a category for those reasons because, of course, it sounds fantastic. Who wouldn't want a piece of that? But you can't just do it because you want incredible growth. You really have to have a solid reason, a solid business imperative, um, you know, whether it's a problem out there, that your customers and your prospective customers are feeling every day that no one else has been able to solve. How to direct the organization to scale and create a category. Most people think that their organization knows exactly what they're doing, where they're going, why they're doing it, because they've said it 756,000 times, but trust me, some of them won't. So having a very deliberate internal comms approach to make sure that you get the whole company on board um, and it, that's the case even if it's a really, really small company. Jada is joining us for SaaStock18 to talk in detail what it takes to become a category leader. According to her, it's never too early to start on that journey. We'll talk much more marketing, brand, sales, and other key facets of growing a SaaS company at SaaStock18. It's only 10 days away, so we're about to sell out. And if you want to join us, you've got to be very quick and grab your ticket ASAP. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, uh, Jada Balster, uh, VP of Marketing at Workfront. Welcome, Jada. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. 
That's a, a, a real pleasure. It's been uh, it's been a while since we last spoke, but it's good to have you on the uh, on the podcast as a guest for the uh, for the first time. Uh, but Jada, um, you know, tell us for for those that maybe uh, haven't heard of you before. Um, you know, who are you? Who is Jada Bolster? Um, so I am uh, VP of Marketing at Workfront. Uh, for anyone who hasn't heard of Workfront. Workfront is a modern work management platform that connects work, collaboration, and digital content into one single operational system of record. So basically, Workfront's about helping business leaders transform the way that work actually gets done. Um, so as I said, I lead um, the European marketing team for Workfront, um, which is both our marketing and our account development teams, um, sometimes referred to as BDRs, SDRs. Uh, we call them account development. And then prior to that, I led various marketing teams at IHS Market. Um, and before that, I started my SaaS journey at Epicor Software. Okay, very cool. Thanks uh, uh, for that background. And and so at Workfront, I mean, um, we know what they do, but like what? how big is Workfront? Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that. I don't know if you're allowed to like share any kind of revenue uh, uh, statistics and um, you know what type of customers do you go after is it SMB or enterprise yeah so um, Workfront is definitely a fast-growing organization so I've been there um, it'll be five years in December and um, when I started we we're about 300 employees we are now just touching a thousand um, so growing really nicely we are very much focused on enterprise uh, customers we've seen a real growth in that area as, uh, in our business um, so we focus on the enterprise market for sure okay so typical uh, annual contract value is it 50k 100k something like that the the, the deals that you're working on yeah so obviously we have um some of our star star contracts which um are million plus mm-hmm. um, but on average i would say um in the yeah 100k range okay so um before well I, I guess today you know obviously given that you you know you're, you're vp of marketing with a great marketing background and uh haven't had a um a, you know a good experience good journey within uh you know SaaS working in SaaS companies you know we'll we'll talk about um you know marketing within SaaS and demand generation and building categories because this is something that uh, obviously that you've done and also you're going to be you know uh, speaking about uh, at SaaS stock um so, but uh, I, I guess your your general marketing experience, um, you, you know, throughout your career, what, what what are the most important things or facets that you've learned uh, ar- around B two B marketing that really, you know, every SaaS B two B marketer, you know, should know. Yeah. So um, demand generation has always been at the core of what, of what I've done throughout my whole career. So really focused on um, being close with sales, having that partnership. Um, and have been very passionate around ge- uh, generating revenue. I think um, some of the important things that um, I've learned over my career, which are important for all B2B marketers, is um, to be successful, I think you have to really think outside of just marketing. I think it's very easy for marketers to get into a trap of you know, we're being successful, we're hitting our lead targets, we're hitting all of our metrics. And I think sometimes marketers can live in a little bubble of their marketing world. Um, You hear often about 
marketing achieving their targets, but then the company not hitting their revenue goals, which just seems off to me. So I think, um, as I said, thinking outside of the box, thinking outside of just marketing and looking at the whole company um, and the success from a revenue perspective is really, really important. Um, and then on to kind of what I'm going to talk to about at SaaS stock, the other important facet of B2B marketing is you just can't forget the importance of your brand. As I said earlier in my career, I, I was very much focused on demand generation. That's always been the bread and butter of what I've done. And I think if I'm honest, um, earlier in my career, I probably, um, I would pride myself a little bit on the fact like I'm demand gen. I'm not that fluffy brand stuff. Um, I think very quickly I realized that the fluffy brand stuff actually isn't so fluffy. Um, that's the bit that's going to allow companies to scale. And that's what's going to help us differentiate ourselves from other organizations. Um, so I would say, going back to your question, one of the most important things I learned is the approach of having brand plus demand um, is definitely the winning formula. Interesting. So I want to obviously, you know, talk both about demand generation and, you know, brand um, and just on the demand generation, I guess, bringing it, um, it I'm sure, uh, uh, as you can, like into the context of work front, uh, you know, what are the types of demand generation, like activities that are really like working for you, um, you know, as a, I guess, a, a, a SaaS company that's selling into the enterprise um, I'll be sort of keen to uh, to, to hear about yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. So um, account-based marketing is kind of the buzzwords in marketing at the moment. But the way I think about it is that account-based marketing is really just good, well-done, targeted marketing. So um, I think the important part about account-based marketing is that you're taking an integrated approach and that you're targeting the right people. And that's been really, really important to us at Workfront, especially as we target the enterprise. Um, we go after a very specific set of prospect accounts that we know are a really good fit for us. And more importantly, we know we can make a really good impact on their business. Um, so having that approach where you're going after very targeted accounts, um, you're not just kind of doing that spray and pray, go and get whoever, hook in whoever we can. We know who we're going after. We partner with um, marketing, account development, and sales um, to really take an integrated approach to penetrate those accounts. And um, and then around uh, brand, and again, I guess the use case for for, for you guys. Um, if I recall correctly, uh, you haven't been Workfront for all five years. Uh, was there a rebrand in the last year or two? Yeah, so we rebranded um, about two and a half years ago. We used to be called Attask and uh, rebranded to Workfront. And I think um, you know that actually was probably the first part of us setting the stage for the category that we were looking to create. Um, you know, the word task very much makes you think of you know, tactical, just managing little um, tasks within a project. And really what Workfront is trying to do is transform the way people work in general and um, we felt that, that having a new name would really help solidify that change and just make sure that people were thinking about us um, in the way in which we wanted to be seen. And what sort of, uh, like, impact had that rebrand had on uh, or has it had on, on the business? You know what? I think um, it's had a huge impact internally, definitely, because we, um, our CEO, Alex Schutman, does a phenomenal job of um, really bringing the company together behind our mission, which is around um, 
ensuring that, as I said earlier, leaders do work in a better way. And as a company, we're really rallying around um, that whole message and making sure that our customers are successful. And the Workfront rebrand was just a, kind of the first turning point in that. It was like, we're a, you know, we're a new company. We're going in a not a new direction, but we we kind of found our mission and we knew where we wanted to go. We saw this huge opportunity and it was a great kind of rallying cry. And then externally, I think there was there's always some nervousness because we'd had the name at task for um, you know, probably coming up 15 years. And you think, well, no one's gonna know who we are, and we had some decent brand recognition with that. But actually, the customers who um, were going on the, the journey with us and were thinking about us in the way in which we um, wanted to be positioned, they got it. They're like, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, and actually, the, the brand's been a really, really positive thing for us. Uh, have Have you or um, Alex uh, read the book Play Bigger uh, by any chance? Funnily enough, I actually have that um, downloaded from Audible as my next one to read. Okay, well, I mean, you, it, it seems like uh, you guys have already uh, adopted some of those lessons. I, I'm actually reading it extremely slowly uh, and haven't finished it. But, you know, it, it's all about, um, you know, uh, becoming a category leader and, you know, uh, I guess kind of rebranding so that you position yourself so you, as a new category. Um, and, uh, yeah, kind of, it sounds like you guys kind of almost gone through that journey um, uh, already. But uh, I, I started to see it this year as a highly recommended book from a lot of people in, uh, uh, in the SaaS world. And, um, yeah, just found it quite, uh, quite interesting. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely think this year, um, you know, building category leaders and brand uh i I mean it's like exploded in terms of um you know from content and you know companies um and people that i'm speaking to uh um it's it's a super hot topic and i think will be covered like three or four times at Sastock, including i think you you know yourself you'll be uh talking about the critical factors when building a category and I guess um, without giving, you know, uh, for those that are listening that are, uh, you know, hopefully going to come and, uh, you, you know, see your, your keynotes, we don't want to give too much away, but can you maybe, you know, just give a, a few insights into, you know, the things that you'll be talking about and perhaps, you know, some takeaways, uh, you know, just to give people a little bit of uh, um, something uh, <clears throat> to take away now, but um, just a little, some snippets. Yeah, of course. Um, So I think the first part um, is very similar to what we've just been talking about, which is um, balancing demand generation and brand awareness and how um, you play those off against each other, how you make difficult decisions. Um, So I'm going to be talking about the fact is they shouldn't be mutually exclusive. Um, And, you know, if you don't have the brand awareness, you're going to just be pumping more and more money and resources into demand, and that's not scalable. So, um, brand awareness and category creation is going to be um, a big piece of that topic. So there's four um, critical factors that I'm going to be talking through. Um, So the first is around the need for a business imperative. So why is this category important? Um, And I think, you know, it's well known that in general, category creating companies experience much faster growth and they receive receive higher valuations and all those wonderful things. Um, But you know, you can't just create a category for those reasons because 
of course it sounds fantastic who wouldn't want a piece of that but you can't just do it because you want incredible growth you really have to have a solid reason a solid business imperative um you know whether it's a problem out there that your customers and your prospective customers are feeling every day that no one else has been able to solve. So I'm going to use Workfront and some of our real life examples about um, what we saw and how we made the decision there. Um, The second piece, the second critical factor is around letting your customers tell your story for you. Um, So the crux of this is just about if it's done correctly, your best salespeople are going to be your existing customers. Um, So at Workfront, we talk about making our customers rock stars. You know, in every good story, there's a hero. And I think a lot of companies make the mistake of positioning themselves or their product as the hero in the story. And um, what we try to talk about is, you know, we are the hero's armor. Um, We're not the hero itself. So you really letting your customers be the hero and tell your story for you will be the second factor. Um, The third is about activating your influencers. So when I talk about influencers, I mean um, press, analysts and social influencers. And these people are going to be really critical in building the category. So I'm going to be talking about how to activate them. And a couple of important things to remember there is um, the strategy behind activating your influencers that it can't just be a broadcast activity. It has to be an engagement and a relationship building strategy. Um, and ultimately, influencers want to be the heroes in the story as well. So really working with them um, in a similar way to which you do your customers. And then the fourth critical factor, which um, I think is really important, which a lot of people forget, is around um, internally your employees and not assuming that they understand the direction that we're going in just because you think that they do. Um, So this is always a really difficult lesson to learn. And I think most people think that their organization knows exactly what they're doing, where they're going, why they're doing it, because they've said it 756,000 times. But trust me, some of them won't. So the last section um, of my presentation at SASDOC is going to be about having a very deliberate internal comms approach to make sure that you get the whole company on board. Um, And that's the case, even if it's a really, really small company. So that's kind of the overview of um, all the different things I'm going to be talking about. Well, I'm, I'm excited to uh, to see the full talk uh, in uh, in just four weeks' time. And do, do you like most? Of, I think most of our uh, listeners of the podcast, and uh, I, you know, pretty much uh, all of the attendees at SASDOC, uh, will be you know founders and execs at SaaS companies that are much smaller than than Workfront, right? They're, mm-hmm. um, I would I think you know our sweet spot is around kind of one to two million ARR, um, and um, yeah, so uh, you, you know not quite the, the the thousand person company, but do you, do you think that um, you know building a category and the importance of building a category does that only really apply? to let's say the, uh, the the bucket of listeners and uh, attendees that are really ambitious, that actually want to build companies as big as Workfront? Or uh, does it also apply if you if maybe some of the founders, they're kind of just happy maybe having a 10 million, you know, 5 million, you know, annual recurring revenue business? Um, uh, you know, do they need to uh, build a category in, in that instance? Yeah, so I don't necessarily think it's about the size of the business. I mean, um, as we talked about earlier, you know, 
category building companies generally have higher growth and all of those types of things, which is fantastic. But I think the important thing with um, building a category is it's for businesses that want to make a difference, that see that there is a gap, that see that there is a business imperative that needs um, someone to do something to help make customers work life easier in whatever way it is. So I think you know this session can be useful for smaller companies and for larger companies. Um, you know, building a category doesn't need to be all these fundamentals don't need to be done at a huge scale. And um, they're just really important things to consider as you look to grow your company in general. Excellent. Um well uh as I say I think you know going deeper into that um uh at SASOK okay team um uh you know really looking forward to that and uh, uh, I guess like the final uh, couple of things as we come to the end of the show, we've actually, or I, I, I named, uh, you know, one book um, there, Play Bigger, which really kind of ties in uh, to, to this conversation. So I think, you know, for anybody that uh, is interested in uh, building a category, that's, that certainly seems to be um, maybe the number one book at the moment or a recommended one for me uh, uh, at least, but even though I haven't finished it. Um, but from, from uh, other books that maybe you're um, reading or listening to, at the moment from a, uh, to kind of help you become a, a, a better marketer, you know, you know, continue to learn, um, you know, and, uh, you know, apply what you've learned to, to, to your business. So are there any recommendations out there that our, our listeners um, uh, could, could go and look up and download or, or, or purchase? Yeah, so a few. Um, so I'm currently just finishing, and I feel like I'm late to the party with this one, but I'm really enjoying it. I'm just finishing listening to um, Grits by Angela Duckworth. I'm really, really enjoying that. We actually had her come in keynote at our um, user conference in May. She was incredible. Um, so I'm in the middle of listening to that. And then Play Bigger is actually the next one that I have on my list. Um, so yeah, I will let you know how that one goes. Do you, do you exclusively listen to uh, Audible and audiobooks now or are you reading books still? Uh, so I read when I go on holiday or if I'm on flights, but I, um, I'm a big fan of Audible for my commute to, to the office. I love um, listening to audiobooks on my commute. So I've been, that's been something which I started doing um, probably only about 18 months ago, but I'm hooked on Audible now, I have to say. Yeah, I need to uh, I need to get into that. I, I don't know why the penny sort of didn't drop, but uh, uh, th- this week I sort of like shared on, on social media about the, and I, sh- I shared with you earlier, just about the, the lack of sleep that I, I start to get four weeks out from the conference. And uh, it, it hasn't been very, uh, uh, very good uh, uh, this week in terms of, you know, getting... Uh, getting the disease in and um uh one of uh, one of our speakers martin hank co-founder at pipe drive uh sort of suggested you know like at, at 9 p.m you know he, he sits down uh and well i think he said like with with a good book uh and you, you know and like an hour later we'll, we'll just go to bed you know switch it off all the screens um and then he sort of clarified that you know exclusively um you know just listens to uh audiobooks these days because my my response to him initially was, well, like at nine o'clock, I'm just too tired to read. My eyes are yeah. like, my eyes are shattered from being on the screen and on the phone like all day that I, you know, the last thing I, I won't probably last more than one page on a book. Um, but um, yeah, I think the, the revelation could be that, you know, audiobooks are, 
maybe the way forward and, and solve that problem. And I don't know why I hadn't thought about it before. Yes, uh, do it. You'll never look back. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm, not, I'm a podcast guy, obviously. We're, we're on a podcast now and, you know, on the commute, I, I, I listen to my podcast, but um, I need to uh, I need to give uh, Audible, Audible a, go, a go. And I'm sure they're not the only uh, uh, audio listening service uh, also. Um, but anyway, fi- final uh, question. We always uh, sign off or ask our guests, you know, how they stay uh, healthy and sane on uh, on their journey. So what's, uh, what's your way? Um, a few things, actually. So um, first of all, I play netball pretty competitively. So um, if any listeners from the UK will know what that is, yeah. but um, outside of that, maybe not. Kind of similar to basketball, but I would say better. Um, so I, I play netball um, a few times a week to kind of keep me active. Um, and then other things that I do to probably keep me sane as well. Um, I am a big holiday person. And this year, for the first time, I trialed um, deleting both email and Slack from my phone um, and told my team, text me if there's anything urgent. I'm only going to be checking email a couple of times over the week. Um, and I got zero texts and the world didn't stop. And so that was um, huge for me. So now holidays, I switch off and I don't aimlessly scroll through emails, um, which is yeah that, that's really that, that's a good tip and actually I've, I've been seeing a lot online like, about people doing that and even not just on holidays like people actually deleting uh, not slack i mean obviously slack in an e- email uh, you, you'll need uh, during the week if, you, if you're working but you know people deleting like social media uh, apps from their phones uh, so that they're just not constantly on their devices all the time but bringing it back from the uh, for, for you and you know people like you know uh, needing holidays and needing rest and that ability to switch off um, I think like I mean so, like this is the third year you know that I've been running Sastock and last year was the first time I had a holiday it was only about the first time in two years um, and um, I didn't really switch off when I was like because I just felt I couldn't you know the business was kind of in that position where I you know I did feel like well I, I needed and the world would stop and it probably wasn't the case but that was that was the feeling uh, yeah. and then th- this year we've had one holiday so far this year one week in Portugal uh, and I didn't delete slack or email but I 90% of the time or maybe more I didn't check it uh, and I kind of trusted you know got a great team I'm sure everything will be fine. If there is a disaster, they'll call me. Um, and I'd found like maybe once or twice out of curiosity, I, I would check. But generally, it allowed my mind to kind of switch off from the day-to-day and you really do unwind and you really do relax because like, yeah. how, how can you relax on holiday if you're thinking about work and emails and stuff like that? It's just not, not possible. So I, I did feel the better for it. But I think actually I might see if I can actually, you know, next holiday, delete uh, email and, uh, and Slack and then reinstall when I come back. Um, yeah, I would really recommend it. It, um, it really made me come back so much more refreshed. And like I said, I was panicking. I was thinking, oh, how is this going to go? And, and I said to the team, text me if there's anything. And honestly, not a single text. Everything just was great. And, you know, it was, it then made it so much more refreshing. So highly recommend. All right. Well, I, you know what? I'm going to say it here. I'm going to do it on my next one. Um, actually, obviously, after Sastock is finished, uh, 
going to take uh, five or six days in Ireland and I'm going to delete email and Slack and it. It first let's uh, let's see how that goes. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know on the uh, on the 23rd of October uh, how, how that went. Um, but good stuff. Jada, thanks so much for um, uh, being a guest on the show today. Really enjoyed talking to you. Looking forward to um, you know seeing your talk uh, and, and going in depth into in, into this topic. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, see you in Dublin on, uh, when are you speaking? The 16th or the 17th? I think 17th, right? 17th, yeah. yeah. So Thank we'll, you for having me and I'm really looking forward to it. No, so likewise. And so we'll see you uh, on the 17th at, at SAS.18 and uh, Jada Bolster, VP of Marketing at Workfront. Thanks very much. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show and have picked up valuable lessons from Jada Bolster, VP of Marketing at Workfront. Jada will be joined by 132 other brilliant speakers, many of which are fellow excellent and knowledgeable marketers, such as Dave Gerhardt, VP of Marketing at Drift, Megan Eisenberg, CMO at MongoDB, uh, and Eric Sue from Single Grain, who's next week's guest on the show. Get a ticket before we sell out what will be an incredible three days in Dublin. Thanks for listening. See you next time.